0: You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this final lesson of the prophecy module, Honouring Jesus, Philip Edwards will teach on what it means to be a spokesperson for the Lord and the responsibilities it carries. We hope you enjoy today's teaching, and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can register for our upcoming module, study past modules, and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching.
1: Welcome to our study this evening. This is the fourth and final in the series of Prophecy. We're going to be looking at the actual Ministry of the Prophet in our first section and then after the break, we're going to actually examine a prophecy given by a prophet. And uh, we'll have some feedback on how we can recognize it, the things that are in it, and, and everything pertaining to it so we can judge it well. Let's just have a word of prayer though before we start. Father, we just thank you again uh, uh, for your the work of your spirit within us to to cause us to grow up in Christ and uh, we know that to study your word is important that helps us to grow and then to to put it into our lives and to work it through our experience so strengthen us tonight encourage us we pray and as we have time to move into prophecy we pray for that gift to be uh, freely exercised tonight in our midst we ask this in Jesus name amen going to talk about actually the ministry of the prophet, and I think we're going to discover that really it's been neglected in our church, and I believe the church is the weaker because of it. God has given gifts to the church. When we don't use these gifts, when we don't exercise them, when we don't recognize them, We're going to be weaker as a church for it, so we're going to look at the ministry of the prophet, and then you can examine yourselves. How many prophets have you ever heard or listened to or that you know about that you could name? Could you write down any prophets that you know now on a piece of paper? Perhaps you couldn't, because they're not not there, I don't believe. Anyway, we're going to look at the ministry of the prophet tonight. He's vital to the church. He has a vital part to play. I'm going to go over the uh, the levels of prophecy that I spoke about last week just to uh, put it in context. I said there, well I gave you four levels but I'm going to put the last two together. The, the first level of prophecy is what I've called uh, to, to minister it with the spirit of a prophet or the spirit of prophecy. So that is what we see generally in the church. That is what everyone can step into. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if he's if he's entered into you, all of us can prophesy. It usually happens in a worship service where we, you know, we're a time of worship is, is in the church and then the Spirit starts to move in us and all of us can prophesy. The Word of God says, I would that you all prophesy. It's usually simply a word of uh, encouragement, not necessarily revelation, but a word that encourages, a word that strengthens a word that blesses the people as they hear it. The second level of gifting is what I've called, it's called the gift of prophecy. It's where those believers who uh, start to move in the spirit of prophecy and start to exercise that amongst themselves, sharing a word with somebody or, or in, the, in the meeting generally, they have a passion to go deeper. And so then they start to operate with the gift where it becomes more revelationary. They see things, and they're able to sometimes give direction. So because of their eagerness to do it and their passion, then God anoints them with a greater anointing of the gift of prophecy, and they move on. The third level, I said there were three and four. I talked about the ministry of the prophet and then the office of the prophet. I'm going to lump them both together tonight. The ministry of the prophet is, is different because it's a permanent ministry. It can be a man or a woman, and as they're born, they're born with this this gift of prophecy, as it were. It's, it, it's in them. It, it's It runs along with the other uh, fivefold ministry gifts. We know there's the apostle, uh, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, and the prophet. And these are the gifts that Christ has given to the church. What is a prophet? Well, He's a person who holds a very important ministry. If we go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, it says this, and in the church God has appointed, first of all, apostles. And then he says, second prophets and third teachers. So I know my place, don't worry about that. Uh, so uh, he, he does it in an order. Now it doesn't mean these people are are more special or uh, they have uh, you know a much more important job, but he has listed them. He put the word first. First comes the apostle. So, in the in the thinking of the building of a church, we need apostles, and then we move on to the other gifts. Because once it, there's another passage in Ephesians four eleven, it says it was he Christ because they're the gifts of Christ to the church, who gave some to be apostles, and again it says some to be prophets. And it goes on to say some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. So the way I see that he's listed them, and he's listed them twice, in that order, first, second, third. uh, the reason I think is because in his mind I believe he's thinking of establishing a church. So, if you're going to uh, take the gospel to a nation where the gospel isn't, you first need the apostle. The apostle, the word means a sent one. So, we could think of our missionaries as apostles. If they go where the gospel isn't, they go first to establish the gospel there, to, to, to gather people together. Remember, Paul, uh, he was an apostle, and so he would go to a place, and he would look for Jews that would, uh, were interested or, or maybe had heard something of Christ, and he would start to gather them together. That's the work of the apostle. He's the person who, who goes in there first. The second person is then the prophet, so it is the prophet then who starts to speak the Word of God into that situation, into that small group of people, perhaps, that the apostles has gathered together. We move on to then the ministry of the evangelist. Once that group is there, the apostle has planted the church, uh, the prophet has started to speak into that situation, the evangelist then sets in bringing others in. The, the gospel is preached and people start to come and join the church. Then we need pastors who can shepherd the flock. And uh, with that list in Ephesians, the teacher comes at the bottom. Okay? Some people put the pastor-teacher in the same role. They say there's only four um, you know, giftings in that sense. Or I, I tend to think there are five because I know some very good teachers who aren't necessarily pastors. And some, uh, you know, so there's more than just the pastor. There are these fivefold ministry gifts, and they're all essential for the establishing and for the creating and for the building up of the church. It's not just to establish and build the church. You need the prophet continually to come and to bring the word, but also to train others to be prophets. The fivefold ministry gifts are to train the people to do the works of service, not to do it all themselves. So. If there were gifted uh, men and women with that ministry of the prophet, we would have more prophets in the church. They would be raising our prophets. Uh, Teachers raise up teachers. Evangelists raise up the church to be evangelistic, and and so forth. So the, the ministry, the fivefold ministry, is to train the people to do the work of the ministry. There's a verse in Amos, Amos 3 and 7. It says this, it says, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan first to his servants, the prophets. Some people would suggest that before God does anything, he tells the prophets what he's going to do. And then the prophets speak it out. But if you haven't heard any prophets in your church for umpteen years, then you haven't heard anything from God. It's as though, well, isn't God going to do anything? If this is what this verse means, and because often we have to interpret ourselves, if we believe this is what the verse means, that every time God wants to move, he, his, his desire is to do it by speaking first to the prophet. So, so we work with him, we're co-partners with him. I sort of agree with this, although if there are no prophets, then God has to override his desire to minister to the prophets. But remember what Jesus said. He says this, he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So it was in Christ's heart when he had gathered his Uh, followers around him, to reveal everything to them, not so they would be in the dark and somehow the Father and the Son would have all these secrets, but as the Father revealed things to the Son, then the Son would reveal it to his brothers and sisters as they built the church together. So, I do believe when God wants to move, he wants to tell us what he's doing. He doesn't want his church in the dark. He wants us to be aware of of where he's moving and how he's doing it and where the enemy's coming from and all these things. So I do believe that that verse uh, means that. There's another little verse in Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 101, In these last days he, that is God, has spoken to us by his Son. So, before, he would speak to us maybe through angels, maybe through prophets, maybe through different ones. But now, he is speaking to us, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, some would say, well, he said everything he wanted to say, it's in the book, and he's not going to say anything else. Again, you have to determine whether you believe that or not. I don't. I believe that Jesus is still speaking to his church, and he's speaking them through the gifts of prophets that he's given to the church, those that have that ministry. So, Jesus is still speaking today. Now, he won't add anything to Scripture, but often he has to explain things to us in a much clearer way. Uh, Remember when he says, don't be afraid when people arrest you, as it were, and and throw you into prison, Uh, you'll be afraid of, of what of what you say. it says the Holy Spirit will accompany you and show you or tell you what to say. So, so this ministry of the prophet is bringing to us still what Christ is saying to his church. In Acts 1 and 1 it says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's, he's referring to the book of Luke because that was uh, the right that Luke wrote Acts and he wrote Luke. So that was his former book. And he says in that book, it's the start of what he wanted to do. And of course, the book of Acts is, is Christ continuing what he wants to do, what he wants to say and do through his church. So Christ is still speaking to his church. He is still building his church, and part of the process of building his church is that he speaks through the prophets. He uses his apostles to go and to start to establish. He uses his teachers, he uses the pastors, he uses them, and of course he uses the the prophet to keep speaking what he wants to say to the church. It says in Ephesians 4.11, "'It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. It is the apostles who are engaged in the the doing, you could say, all that that Jesus began to do and to teach, to do and to say. So the apostles are engaged in the doing, the establishing, and the prophets are there to bring the, the revelation of Christ, speaking to us all the time. We need him to speak. Sometimes we're just happy listening to what other other people tell us to do, like what are the leaders of the church saying? Oh, well, we'll just do that. They're saying move in this direction, so we'll move in that direction. Are they hearing from God? Is Christ speaking? Why can't we hear the prophet saying? Why can't can't we have recognised prophets within the church that can stand and speak and will know that is what God is telling us to do? Otherwise, we just do what we're told to do without any real clear understanding. Is this what God wants us to do? Or are we just having a go at something else? I've already said previously, um, there are true prophets and false prophets. We've established that in previous lectures. There are no Bible-writing prophets. Remember, every book of the Bible was written by prophets. It was the Spirit coming upon men. It was all men that, that wrote it. But we won't add anything more. So that, that sort of prophecy is finished now. And we don't have national prophets. I've explained that, that we're not a theocracy. Uh, we don't live under the government of God. That's not the way we we live now. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was governed by God. And so God spoke through the prophets. Uh, and I've said I didn't know who was the most important man, the prophet or the king. I mean, it was the king was under God. And the prophet spoke for God and told the king actually what God was saying. Although a prophet might speak out within a nation, uh, a man who carries the gift of prophecy, or a woman that could carry that gift of prophesying, prophets speak mainly to the church and through the church. And it could be through the church it speaks to the nation. We don't speak to our nation, do we, the church? It's almost like pushed aside. We're not, we're not even interested. I remember watching some old television news from the 50s and I saw people interviewing bishops and asking what the bishop thought. Well, I thought, well, at least in the 50s, I mean, that's a long time ago now, I understand that. It was like they were semi-interested in what the church said about something. I'm not sure they're interested in at all, you know. I know now and again the Archbishop would would appear on television and he will say something, but is he really speaking prophetically to the nation or is he just giving you know a sense of how the church feels about things? That's how I generally pick it up. That's not a criticism. If the man's not a prophet or standing in the office of a prophet, he won't profit, and he's not. He's standing in the office of... An archbishop, uh, a pastor really. What sort of person is this prophet then, this, this one that I think is so neglected and we don't see much of in the church? For a start they must really know God. That's the first thing. They must know him they're going to speak on his behalf they're going to say this is what god is saying so it isn't like they're they're just doing their own thing and then all of a sudden god drops them a message like they get a letter and they start to read it out no they know god they're walking with their god and they get to know their god they're sensitive to him we don't usually talk in terms or we're a bit confused to say, has God got feelings? Well, there's a lot in scripture to indicate that he has. Now, they're not feelings like we have feelings, because he's God, he's not a human, he's he's beyond us, he's other. But the Bible expresses that, that God somewhat has feelings. We know he's compassionate. We know that he grieves. He has joy and patience. He yearns for things he's forgiving. He's also angry at times and he's loving. So the prophet, if he really knows his God and he's walking with his God, his sense is something of the feelings of God, the passions of God, the emotions of God. It's not an easy office to stand in. Perhaps that's why we haven't got many of them. See, it might be a lot easier being a pastor or a missionary-type apostle or a teacher. We just work from the book, tell you what it says. Okay, it's a little bit more than that because you need an anointing even to be a teacher. But the, the prophet stands in a unique office where he really knows his God. They know something of God's eternal perspective on things as well. Sometimes we've got our heads so down here into the problems that we're facing, it's very bleak, it's very negative. There's so many pressures coming in on us that we're not, we're not pleased with. But the prophet sees things from God's perspective. He knows the heart of God, the mind of God, the thought of God, and so he's, he's speaking from God's perspective. That's not an easy thing. They see the church as God sees it. We see it as we see it, and it might vary from one generation to the next. It might vary from one Christian to the next, from one, one fellowship to the next fellowship. One fellowship could be really depressed about things and another quite buoyant at the same time. But the prophet, he sees things from God's perspective. And he speaks what God sees and what God wants to say in a particular situation. We've looked at the fact that their personality is often involved, their temperament, in the way they deliver their message and the way they say. I believe that prophets are, they're prepared in childhood that God has set them aside. They are gifts by Christ to the church and he has prepared them from their childhood. They might not know about it, they might. He's also formed them in their adolescence. I'll give you the example I chose from scripture to just highlight that point. I want to talk about John the Baptist. Um, in some sense, he was deemed as the greatest man that ever lived. Now Jesus said that about him. I mean, that's something worth looking at, yes? So it says this in Luke 1 and 41. When Elizabeth, that's the mother who was carrying John uh, inside her womb, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, remember Mary went to see Elizabeth, her cousin, and uh, because they were both pregnant now at this time, Mary was a little way behind her. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you must have read that a few times. Did you ever stop to think, what on earth was going on here? Mary walks into the room where Elizabeth is. She says hello to her or greets her the way she greets her, And the prophet who's inside Elizabeth, she knows nothing about that, he responds to the greeting and the fact that Christ has come into the room. Something happens on the inside of Elizabeth and she is filled with the Spirit. Was that his first prophetic utterance? (laughs) Was it? In the womb? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? You just have to take yourself through the whole scenario. He senses in the womb that Jesus has entered into the room, and he somehow, he can't speak, but he can kick. And in the kick, of course the only one it can affect is his mother, and she is filled with a spirit. Amazing. See, he was prepared. In his mother's womb, he was prepared. It says then in Luke 1 and 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. So it's almost like as Jesus was growing as a child, strong in spirit, so was John the Baptist growing strong in spirit as a child. And it goes on to say this, and he lived in the desert. Somehow he was separated out. Maybe his mother and father knew, maybe they didn't know, but this boy was made for something special. And so he was, the the imagery it gives me, he was withdrawn from the rest of society. He was a quiet boy. He didn't didn't enter into what all the other young boys and, and young men were doing. He was withdrawn, as it were. He was being prepared in his adolescence. It says in then in Luke 7 and 28, he says, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Is he saying he was the greatest man that ever lived? Is he saying he was the greatest prophet that ever lived? And why would he be the greatest prophet? He was, of the Old Testament prophets, he was the last he was the last of that. After him, there would be prophets, but they would be different from him onwards because all of the prophets spoke about the coming Messiah. Well, they did towards you know the end, not at the beginning, but uh, uh, it's in um, Jeremiah, isn't it? He speaks about uh, a new covenant and, and someone coming. And from that time, all the prophets picked up that theme of a new covenant and the king coming, and they all prophesied about the coming Messiah, the coming king. But he was the one who was alive when he came. So he, was he great because he was the one that said, this, this is the man. Is that why he was great? Or was he simply great, great? And there's another wonderful verse that follows after that, if you know your Bibles. He says, this man was the greatest man that ever lived. But all of us now who have come to Christ and received him as his saviour. We are all greater than John the Baptist. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, you can say praise the Lord, hallelujah, or well, you might in the right sort of church, but I mean, it, it is absolutely wonderful. See, Jesus held him in so high esteem, and so did the Word of God, but he says, you, you, you're going to have, all of you are going to have the Spirit of God coming into you, so you can walk and live like Jesus Christ himself. John couldn't do that. John couldn't do that. He was God's ordained prophet to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. The burden of the prophet is the will and the kingdom of God. See he's burdened. I think John was burdened, don't you? I mean you just see him as this rugged man, don't you, preaching on the banks of the Jordan, and he was ferocious. I mean, I think he looked ferocious and he sounded ferocious, and he didn't care what he said to the soldiers. He didn't care what he said to the Pharisees. He spoke the word of God, and he he, he didn't he didn't he wasn't offended or put out by if the people didn't like him. It didn't matter, and that's one of the the hallmarks of, of a prophet. By the time I finish this, you're going to say, I don't want to be a prophet. No, it's all right. <laughs> like, I don't mind being a pastor or a teacher or even an apostle, but don't make me a prophet because I can understand it's not the thing you would, you would jump to. So he was burdened. He was burdened about the will of God, burdened about the kingdom. And when he looked and saw the state of the kingdom and he would hear God and listen to God, he had a passion He had a passion for the glory of Christ in the church and the glory of Christ in the earth. That was his passion. He was free, and prophets must be, from self-promotion. Going back to John the Baptist, remember what he said? He said, listen, I must decrease and he must increase. There was occasion. Remember when the, the prophets, uh, the, the sorry, the followers of John the Baptist, and saying, all the people, they now they don't care about you, John. They're running after Jesus and what he's saying. And he said it's fine. He said that's absolutely fine. He said what God gives me, is mine, but what he gives another man, is another's man's. That, that's his business. So he was perfectly all right about it. He got a bit worried in the end, didn't he? Because he sent his, his followers to Jesus and he said, Are you the Messiah? I mean, he was a bit troubled. Uh, but of course, he knew deep down because Jesus said, You've seen everything that I've done. Of course, I'm the one that you prophesied about. The prophet must be free from any sort of financial ties. Oh, imagine, imagine as a spiritual leader, you had a prophet in your pocket. Oh, we could do that, couldn't you? You could use that. Who was the really dodgy prophet of the Old Testament? Do you remember who who would, would take bribes and money? The donkey lover. Balaam. Okay, Balaam. Remember Balaam? He, he would have done anything for a dollar. And of course, he was, he was taken by these foreign kings to, to curse Israel. And of course, every time he got up to curse them, he couldn't do it because God didn't give him a curse. He gave him a blessing and he, he wound the poor king around the bend. But of course, in the end, he did take the money. And listen what Peter says about Balaam. He says, they have left the straight way, talking about other false prophets. It says, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. The prophet must not be in anyone's pocket. If He should receive a ministry gift if he goes into a fellowship to prophesy. Of course he should. He's got to pay his bills and, and everything else. But he shouldn't be receiving as it were so he's controlled in any way free to speak God's mind and not be influenced by anyone or anyone's money come to that they must be humble but authoritative not afraid of the people's faces they must leave it to God to vindicate their words imagine a prophet he, he booms it out And then he thinks, is this going to come to pass or not come to pass? He can't defend his words, he can't change his words, he can't alter his words, he can't... He said, well, I didn't mean that. We've heard prophets, haven't we? Recently. uh, With Donald Trump, did you cover some of that? Where the prophets in America, lots of them, lots of them, all prophesying that Mr. Trump would be the next president of America, he would have another term. They're all wrong. They were all wrong. They're wrong. And even though they're wrong, they're still trying to say they're right. It's like they're trying to vindicate themselves. There were one or two who got up and said, we got it absolutely wrong and we humbly apologise and we ask you to forgive us. That's it. But a whole lot of them, they didn't. They needed or they tried to vindicate the things that they had said. Well, I'm not going to say they were false prophets but they were definitely false prophets then they were manipulated or they were received money for saying such things they were trying to curry favors i don't know why they said what they said but they definitely weren't saying what god was saying what do they do then these prophets they bring the clear word of god straight from god to the church they minister to the church A prophet speaks what he hears and what he sees from God. See, in some ways, the prophet's job is a lot easier than the pastor and teacher. The the teacher and pastor have got to get into this word. They've got to do some digging. They've got to work hard at it. But the prophet doesn't. He might be woken in the night. He might wake in the morning as he's walking. God just downloads it to him. But then he's got to speak out and uh, speak out what he sees or or what God is telling him to do. Often it's not very pleasant, not very nice. (laughs) When he goes into a church, uh, I must explain this, a prophet can't just be in his church every week. You wouldn't want to be prophesied to by a prophet every week, would you? It'd be a bit bit strong really you just need to hear him now and again you know so uh, to bring you in direction so he's usually got an itinerant ministry he goes from church to church and of course his ministry is recognized and he's invited because they want to know the word of god in, in that situation so he he goes to the church and he might not have anything so, a bit scary. See, see if you invite me, I, I say, what do you want me to speak on? And they either give me a subject or they don't. They say, oh, no, whatever you feel the Lord gives you. So uh, the Lord gives me something. Uh, and so I go, I go with my message. A prophet can't do that, can he? Either the prophet gets the message and he goes, Whew, that's all right, I know what to say. Or he turns up with nothing. That's scary. Uh, have I ever gone to church without a message? I think I've done it once or two or three times because I thought God told me to do this. Then when I got there, I wasn't sure that God wanted me to do this. And then I started to panic and say, Lord, what, they, what do you want me to say then? It's a, bit un- it's a bit unnerving, I assure you. You generally want to go with something, a word that's within you. Okay, never mind. moving on for the poor old prophet now. So the prophet just has to go along and depend on the Holy Spirit to give him the message to the church when he walks into the church, or he's in the meeting, or he's there. And so he's, he's really close to God, yes? And of course, he's not close to God now because he's in the meeting. He's being close to God all the time because he's walking all the time, listening and attentive to the voice of God. He's open all the time that God might speak to him And tell him something. Sometimes I said he might have a word from the Lord before he actually goes to the meeting and God tells him clearly what he has to say and he knows, maybe he's written it down, maybe he doesn't need to, maybe he has a a vision or a picture that he'll speak out when he gets there. So all the time he's constantly waiting on God, constantly listening to God, because it Perhaps it won't only be when he goes to a meeting or has an appointment, but God might want to speak to him any time and tell him something that he's got to tell to others. So the prophet is one who ministers to the church, to, to the local fellowship, and he comes like a, a one who holds a plumb line. He says, this, this is what God is saying. Unless you can see it this way, you're seeing it wrong. And so he measures up how straight the church is if it's operating in the way that it should he travels then from congregation to congregation when did you last have a prophet in your church that the leader could say so and so here has the ministry of a prophet we welcome in amongst us and uh, we're going to listen carefully to what he says and we believe that God is going to minister through him exciting yes Powerful. He would reveal if there was hidden sin in the church. That's part of his job, to clean things up sometimes and speak out. Whether he puts his his finger on someone, he might if God says so. You say, will God do this? Ananias and Sapphira, remember? When they came to Peter, put his finger right on them. He said, "What? Well, you're a liar, you're a deceiver. Satan has entered your heart. He's caused you to do that. You're disastrous for the church. And he drops down dead. He was being prophetic. He had a word of knowledge. And he was operating under the spirit. He might feel that the church has, the leaders have a power complex. It's as though they're afraid to lose control of things. So they make sure that nobody does anything out of order. It's all done the way they say it should be done. He might pick that up. He might not say it in front of the church, but he could well go behind and talk to the leaders and say, this is what God has shown me about you. You need to release that power control, that complex to, to be in charge of everything. That's, that's not good. Maybe it would benefit for some homework to go and read through the first three chapters of Revelation. Remember, that was the prophet speaking to the seven churches. Sometimes he would commend them and say, you've done this, done this good. But then others, he said, this was good, but this was terrible. And he said some harsh things, didn't he? He said to one church, you've got the synagogue of Satan in the midst of your church. He says to another church, you used to be so passionate for God, but you're lukewarm. What is wrong with you? So so those, those, if you read through those warnings and those prophetic words, that's powerful words spoken to the seven churches that were in Asia at that time. Strong words, both good though and bad. If the church is doing good, the prophet can come and commend the church, praise them for what they're doing good. So God isn't always down on us and telling us what's wrong. Usually if there's something wrong, there's something right. And he'll tell us what's right, but he'll tell us what's wrong and what needs to be sorted. His ministry is painful. It's a painful thing to do. No one wants to go and confront and deal with problems all the time in people's lives and, and bring correction. That's not that's not a pleasant thing. Prophets are often eccentric people. I don't know if you've ever known any or met them. They can be a little bit weird. They were a little bit weird in the Bible as well. Just just doing some strange thing. Uh, Ezekiel was one of the major prophets, remember? Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah and Isaiah. A major one. Listen what it says about Ezekiel. Ezekiel 4, 4 and 8. He tells Ezekiel to do this. Then he says, Lie on your left side and put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the house of Israel. Weird. This poor guy's got to lay on his side for 390 days. And to make sure he doesn't turn over, they tie him up. See, it's God speaking. Clearly speaking. Just in case you don't hear it, then you'll see it. He says, after you finish this, lie down again this time on your right side and bear the sin of the house of judah i have assigned you 40 days a day for each year turn your face towards the siege of jerusalem and with bared arms prophesy against her i will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you finish the day of your siege poor man yes You want to be a prophet? Any volunteers? Okay. Okay. I mean, the few prophets I've known, they were strange. They were scary as well. Okay. So a prophet will not always be popular. He will withstand all those that hinder the work of God. He will withstand them. He's not afraid to wound people. He doesn't want to. He wants to heal them, but sometimes we have to wound before we can heal. A summary then of his ministry. He corrects God's people when they're wrong. He confirms and encourages them when they're right. He brings direction from God when it's needed. And he reveals heaven realities to people. We can get so locked in the present, in the natural, we lose sight of the spiritual realities, maybe the battle that's going on that we can't see in the heavens. Remember, Daniel saw that quite clearly, didn't he? He said, I prayed. And then the angel comes, but another angel apprehends him. You see, we see things in the spiritual realm, and he says, this this... Angel wrestled with the one and then he came and brought the message and he says, I must go back and go back through that battle, as it were, in the heavenlies. We're going to do a, a module later this year about the spiritual conflict that takes place above the heavenlies. That would be an exciting one uh, to, to look at. And we can, as it were, pull back the curtains of the heavens and thinking... <gasps> Pull it back again, you know, it's like, if you don't want to be a prophet, you don't want to see there, you know, you don't want to see all that. It's like, you it can be a little bit, okay. The prophet serves the local church. He serves the, the leadership of the church. Remember, he's got an itinerant ministry, he moves around... It's translocal, and so when he steps into the church, he hasn't got authority. The leaders of the church have the authority in the church. So he comes to submit his ministry and to give them. He might bring a strong word to the church. But it's the leaders who determine what they do with the word. It isn't his job to say. He just says, this is what God says, this is what God sees, this is what I've seen, this is what God is feeling... And I just need to bring you this message. Then the leadership has have to deal with that. They can't ignore it. If they do, they ignore it. They're peril. It's not, it's not the prophet's responsibility then to exercise any authority. It's the leaders of the church that do that every time. They're not easy people, as I said, to receive into the church. They're not. I mean, if you have one any... Brings a word that's quite strong. Would you invite him next year? Maybe you wouldn't. Okay, you think, oh no, we, we had enough trouble with him last year. I mean, 50% of the church left, we ain't having him back. You know what I mean? We're here trying to build up the numbers. Uh, in comes the word of the Lord, and they are thrown out the door. So, yeah, I can, I can receive that. I'd be a prophet. Prophets, they always need encouragement. You can imagine. It's, like, it's not an easy burden to carry and always listening to God, always wanting to get it absolutely right, what God is saying, and they're they're fearful, fearful people like we're all fearful. So they need encouragement. I believe that many churches lack any direction at all because the prophet is denied wholesale in our churches. See, if God has given them the ability to bring direction and correction and encouragement, and we have nothing to do with them, or we're so ignorant of them, or somehow they just, they've disappeared from the scene, then we're the weaker for it. Maybe God would direct another way, but he says, you do it my way, my way or no way. And so often we're a bit lost. I've got a quote here by A.G. Gardner. It was in uh, Prophets Today. It said this, the prophet is only useful as long as he is stoned as a public nuisance. <laughs> calling us to repentance, disturbing our comfortable routines, breaking our respectable idols, and shattering, shattering, sorry, our sacred customs you see we build this stuff around us all the time to make us comfortable in our church settings as it were Jesus hasn't come to make us comfortable he's come to destroy the powers of darkness he's come to lead an army against the enemy and we just want to make it comfortable out for ourselves so often Mm mm-mm As I said, he can only do this ministry if he remains close to God. He's called out from youth, prepared by God. Uh, He's not always got thick skin. He's very sensitive. He needs to be sensitive. The prophet must see and hear clearly what God has said. He must hear it clearly, otherwise... His ministry is useless. It's useless. If you get it wrong, what good are you? That's what you're there to do. To bring the word of God, if it's wrong, it's useless. He needs the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make the words that he say powerful on people's lives. You know that people can preach the word of God, but it it doesn't do anything to you. It might, you might think it quite a boring message because someone else can preach that same message with the anointing of God on them. It's powerful. It makes all the difference. It becomes alive. It changes the whole direction and course of your life because it had the anointing on it. The prophet needs the anointing of God for it to be effective anytime. It needs the anointing. And that anointing, often it comes by walking close with the Lord. It says in 2 Chronicles twenty four twenty, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. See, it makes the point. It isn't because Zechariah was a prophet and every time he spoke, it did the stuff. No, no. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. Zechariah, the son of Jehoadiah, the priest, he stood before the people and he said, this, this is what God says. And if you read on what he said, the people really responded to it. Because the anointing was on what he said. It's not just the words then. It's the Spirit of God on the words that make it all so important. I find that myself. I can can preach. Of course I can preach. If you do a thing a thousand times or two thousand times, you can do it. But you need the anointing. Without the anointing, it's just a message, and people go, oh, that was all right, oh, of course it was all right. It wasn't, going to, it wasn't going to ever be bad, but it's like it didn't have the anointing. And, and when the anointing is there, everyone wakes up. It's like something's happened, something special, something different. Should we have schools for prophets? We have schools for pastors, don't we, and teachers? Should we have schools for prophets? Prophets are probably born and not made, but we all need training. Even if we're born something, we need to be trained and equipped to be able to do it. In the Old Testament, there seems to be what they called the school of the prophets I'll give you a couple of verses in 1 Samuel 10 and 5 it says as you approach the town you will there's a typo there in your notes sorry about that no matter how many times we proofread this a typo gets through so okay you all know that yeah from experience as you approach the town you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place so they were with someone. They were probably with Samuel, I could imagine. And so as he's coming, he's leading them down. He's taking them up for a conference, isn't he, up the top there, okay? Uh, 1 Samuel 19:20. 20. It says, but when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader? Oh, of course. So Samuel had gathered all these around him. Well, we only hear what Samuel says because these were prophets that were prophesying throughout the whole of the nation. Uh, They were sent forth to do it. And that's what we need today. We need people with a prophetic ministry coming into our churches and raising up others that they can be prophets. So our churches should have prophets speaking the word of God to us. They should be recognizable. They should be in our churches People speaking the word of God. 2 Kings 2 and 5. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elijah and asked him. So again, there was another group under Elijah who was their teacher. I think our churches could do with more prophets. Just the church generally, worldwide, could do with prophets. I believe it's a neglected ministry. Uh, You say, well, surely God would make up the difference. Mm. Well, he poured out the Holy Spirit and people were speaking in tongues. Then we lost that, didn't we? And then God had to revive tongues again. And then we lost it and he revived it again. And it seems that the church loses things all the time. And then the Spirit of God comes and revives that thing again. Uh, The church once danced and worshipped before the Lord and all of a sudden we lost that and we just had dreary song singing until God just revived us again. So we got excited about our worship and uh, we started to dance and it's like uh, we lost it. The Spirit of God moves from generation to generation reviving the the teaching. There's nothing new in it. It's just reviving what we've lost. Because the devil is stealing from us all the time. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that, you know. I remember in, in the 70s and 80s, coming into the deliverance ministry. Uh, it's gone. It's gone. No one does deliverance anymore. Where's it gone? We're, we were all doing it. Uh, why aren't we doing it now? You see, we lose stuff so quickly. We lose it. It's like, it's not sexy to do it or it's we move on to the next thing and we don't bother with that thing anymore (sighs) we value the pastor don't we oh pastor pastor value the teacher we value the evangelist great evangelist where's the pastor where's the prophet where is he (laughs) perhaps we should inquire of the lord yes maybe that's something that can come out of our study We go away and we start saying, Lord, where are the prophets, Lord? Send us the prophets again. We need someone who walks with you and can speak the very heart, the mind, and the feelings of God. Without it, the devil will deceive us. When I say us, I mean the church. We think we're fine. Remember the Laodicean church? We're fine. We're fine. He says, no, you're blind. You're blind, you don't see it. A strong word. Please God, please God, please God, raise up again the ministry of the prophet. Amen. Welcome back. True prophecy always honors Jesus, always. It doesn't draw away from him at all. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with it, or it's corrupted. Sometimes we go to churches, or we see churches, and we see lots of showmanship. We see entertainment. We see the spectacular. We see something that's very glossy, and we're taken up with this. And because we're taken up with this, we don't see Jesus. And so we have to be careful, you know. Sometimes people talk about striving for perfection. Now, I always quote that when God made the world, he never said it was perfect, he said it was good. So um, I think if we strive for good... Because, see, perfection is about us. It's like, see how well I did this. Whereas, you know, you get the idea that when Jesus moved around, he was phenomenal, but he was very earthly, very down-to-earth. And uh, Not that we shouldn't do things well, but we have to be careful that we don't draw away from him. And sometimes prophecy is not focused on Christ, or it's not Christ-honoring. The words of prophecy should always express something of the love of God, because he is love. Something of his mercy, something of his grace. The character of God should come through prophetic words. Even if God is expressing something of his anger, and when I use that word, God's anger is not like our anger. Oh, we get really angry, but God uh, God, uh, God is, is displeased with sin. So he's not getting all emotional about it, it's just is anger towards it, it just is, is disapproval of it. Because when people are walking in righteousness, they experience the love of God. The blessing of God just flows automatically from him into their life. Sometimes God brings judgment through prophecy, but if he brings judgment, then there's always a way of escape. He says, this is wrong, this is here, but this is how we can get free of this. Example of that is Jonah, isn't it? That story of Jonah, so simple. A prophet, a minor prophet, but a prophet of God. He's sent by God to go and uh, take a message to the Assyrians. It says this in Jonah 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, Jonah hated the Assyrians. They were wicked, evil people. And he knew that God was sending in there for one purpose, so they could turn around from their sin, and God would show them mercy. He said, I'm not doing it. They need to rot, and they need to know the wrath of God upon them. Well, of course, we know what happens to him. Runs in the other direction. Ends up in the welly of a Bell. Of a bell? of a bell? no. In the belly of a whale, okay. And, um, and then he's, he's, and then he goes back again. So we pick the story up in, uh, in chapter three. On the first day, it says, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. So that was what God had given him to say. And in 3 and 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They repented. They did the very thing that Jonah didn't want them to do. And he was still angry, wasn't he? He still resented the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God says in 3 and 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. He did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. See, with the warning, there's always a way out. He's the saviour. So whatever situation a church or an individual finds themselves in, God has made a way of escape if we'll dare take it. True prophecy it always says something that's worth listening to. I received a prophecy just this weekend from somebody. It was just two or three words. But now for the last 48 hours, I've been trying to work out what it means. It's a bit frustrating, okay? Because someone says, oh, I've got a word from the Lord for you and, and this, this is what it is. I said, was there anything more? She said, no. So the word was standing orders. Standing orders. So I've been looking up what standing orders means. Always it means lots of different things, you know, in the end. so And and so sometimes you just have to wait on the Lord and say, what is this then, Lord? What are you saying to me? Is it something that you want to correct me about or something you want to encourage me in? Or what is it you're saying? So uh, I'll ponder this one a little bit longer. Um, I've got a book. Have you got a book that you write them in? You should have, you know, dreams and open visions and things, just jot them down so you can go back and say, what's this all about? But listen, God doesn't waste words. That's why sometimes the the words are very short. I said that I heard the audible voice of God, I've told you that, and uh, he only said two words. He said, thank you. Well, it could be one word, couldn't it? And I thought, is that God, what's that voice? And so he said it again. Just in case I was a bit, you know... He said, thank you. That's all he said, thank you. I mean, that kept me going for another 20 years, didn't it? You know what I mean? It's like that. So the word of the Lord is vital, isn't it? It's vital. It's important to us. But he doesn't waste words. If someone gives a very, very long prophecy, well, it's either not of God or it's not all of God. Generally speaking, it's not. Uh, now, uh, Again, generally speaking, prophecy is short. I've always been instructed, if you stand to give a message in tongues, you'll never know when it stops. It could go on and on and on and on and on. So so if you do give a message in tongues, look for when you should just look to stop. Just look to stop, because really, I think it's just the Spirit of God saying, listen to me, I've got something to say, and he's saying it. But, And then, of course, it's the interpretation that we want, really. Anyway, that's just... By the way, in this final section, and we, well, uh, the final section of study, we've still got the final section, whereas you're all going to prophesy again this evening, so don't worry about that. We're going to leave enough space for that. In this final section, we're going to have a, a, a prophet, a prophecy that was given by a prophet, a man called Alex Buchanan. I mentioned him before, you might not know of him, some of you might know his name. Uh, he's passed away now, he's been dead about 10 years, but he would, he would be described as an, a prophet really, in that sense, to have the ministry of a prophet. Um, he, he started his ministry in Liverpool. He was there for about eight or nine years as a pastor he definitely got then, he was, at, he was at Ashburnham actually, and he got the word of the Lord from, I think, uh, a man called Dennis Clark. Do you know that name, Dennis Clark? Okay, Dennis, I think Dennis Clark was South African, I'm not sure now. Anyway, Dennis Clark uh, called upon him and said that he was changing his ministry. So he did give up that, and he'd, he'd be, he was an itinerant uh, prophet then for the next 40 years of his life. He did a lot of work with Spring Harvest, was on their leadership there for about 20 years and uh, a recognised prophet. So Eileen's going to come Eileen's got a great reading voice so Eileen, set you up now Eileen, sorry about that. Uh, she'll come and read this so you've got to stand here and I'll just stand next to you and for the sake of the screen. Okay. So we start there, sorry, and then it's there oh, in my notes it's to yeah, start something there and then goes right? over. yeah and then go down there
2: God is not static, but an ongoing God. I saw Jesus, the head of the church, striding through the earth, accompanied by vast numbers of the heavenly hosts. He was building his church and absolutely unstoppable. He was sweeping aside all the powers who tried to hinder him in this building. I saw them reeling, then running into the darkness where they belong. Then Jesus stopped and caused an angel to assemble his church leaders before him, and embarked on a tour of inspection. He looked very keenly on each one, and when he saw those who were fully armed, vigorous and bright-eyed, he approved of them and commended them, and caused an angel to note down their names, saying, With these leaders I will move into further battles and they will thus help me to build my church. But then Jesus, who beside his compassion has a steely gaze on occasions, saw those whose breastplates were not properly fastened. This indicated something wrong with their righteousness and it angered him and he caused the scribe angel to note it down. When he saw some with their helmet askew or missing altogether, the angel recorded it. He commanded some to draw their swords and when the edge was found to be blunt or the blade rusty with disuse, he was angry and again the angel noted it. He then clearly said, I, together with those who are in good condition and good heart, will build my church. The others I reject from this warfare until until there is total wholehearted repentance. Then he turned to look at the nation of England in particular, and he saw the utter corruption and the greed in every walk of life. Then I remembered the prophecy given to me in 1974, that the nation, because of the apathy of the church, has become a prey to any foul spirit and it is infiltrated by any and every religious system controlled by demonic powers who are already ruling part of the nation. But the Lord Jesus is never depressed. And as he looked at this sight, so depressing to us, he without hesitation said, now that I have found more rugged leaders, I will destroy the wicked one in this nation Wherever the leaders open the way for me to do so, and I will be exalted. But then he looked at us who are leaders and laid this tremendous responsibility upon us, saying, With new flexibility and new strategy, I call you to take my people back to the old ways, the ancient paths. Let the word of God be embedded deep in the hearts of my people, and not dangled before them like morsels, so that when the time of deprivation comes, they will not be comfortless or without direction. I want you to raise up true prayer, wherein there is fellowship which I can enjoy, and prayer which is an act of warfare. Learn to issue those decrees which will enable these angelic armies to come into battle beside you, And bring down the wicked one. I am not asking but requiring my people to display real holiness and the fear of God in which my grace is no longer taken for granted. I want fear, godly fear and holiness in the lives of my people. Then I will see in it the tokens of true devotion which will enable me to give responsibility and therefore, rewards. I require the whole gospel to be preached, for I am tired of these commitments which mean nothing. I ask you as leaders to be very sure that they are truly born again and bear the fruit. Until you see it, do not name them with the name of Christian, for I want those who become strong and quickly rugged I require reality in all these things. Bless you.
1: So he gave that at a leaders' conference in uh, 1989, that's 32 years ago. I was trying to cast my mind back and thinking what was the church like in 1989? Um, I'd been about 10 years or more in ministry at that time and thinking about it, it was like the start of the charismatic movement that was starting to pick up momentum. That was quite challenging. It was given to leaders, challenging to leaders. That was then followed on by the Toronto Blessing where a great number of um, British uh, church leaders went and uh, were revived and touched by God in a very powerful way. And so I thought, just trying to, you know, think and get it all in context. Were these things happening or not happening? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I don't want to give any final thing about that. Sometimes God comes and there's, there's a word and there's a response immediately. And then, of course, in my heart, what I wanted was to see the thing go on and on and on, to grow and, and to, to end in revival perhaps, or a great move of God, but often it doesn't. It sort of, it has its tremendous power surge forward and then it, it tends to ebb away again. So that's what I saw. Now, uh, he often gave prophecies like that. Not easy, is it, to to you know to, to say, you leaders, you're just not the real thing, I mean, you know, we want rugged leaders, we want strong leaders. It wasn't given to general Christians, it was given to to leaders. So I think you can be a bit harder sometimes with people who who step forward and say, I want to lead, I want to take responsibility for this. And so, yeah, it was quite a strong word. I put there in your notes that the, the sort of questions you should ask yourself regarding hearing a prophecy with this. So let's just go through these and you can, you can respond and, and call out an answer if you want to and I'll just pick it up. The first question I would ask is, we need to ask who is this man, Alex Buchanan? What are his credentials? Who is he? I mean, do we know anything about him? Well... I've shared something about him, and when he gave this, he had been recognized nationally as one who would bring strong prophetic words. And like I said, he was part of the leadership of Spring Harvest for about 20 years of his life. So he was recognized nationally and and respected. Is the prophecy given in love? Well, you might say, well, I'd need to be there and listen to it to tell you that. Or when it was read, did you think it was given in love or not? You need to respond to me a little bit here. Was it, do you think it was given in love? I mean, I read it very lovingly. I think there was a sense of his longing. I think so too, yeah. Um, although he was straight and judgmental in some ways, yeah, there was, there was love in it, I, I believe so. I sort of sensed and picked that up. Um, did it witness in your spirit? Yeah. 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 You're thinking, yeah, I can agree with all that. My spirit is saying, yes, yes, I'm, I'm with this. Um, he had to get the timing right. But for him, you see, he would have been invited to this leaders conference with a view of giving a prophetic word. So I, I would assume it wasn't one of those situations where he turned up and hoped that God would give him something when he stood to his feet, but he had he'd been before the Lord and the Lord had given him this. And it, it's just a picture, isn't it? It's just a, he's just got one image of the Lord coming and inspecting his troops calling his scribes, saying, this is unacceptable, this is acceptable, and then it flows on, raising this and then warning them that they must do certain things. So it comes in one solid picture, and of course, I'm sure he he sat and started to write, and and this is what he got, and whether he read it or spoke it, I don't know, I wasn't there, that was quite a while ago. Does the prophecy honour Jesus? It does, doesn't it? It says things like, I saw Jesus, the head of the church, the captain of god's army he was building his church he was unstoppable so jesus is definitely being glorified in the whole thing sweeping aside he says the opposition so you get these tremendous pictures it's really all about jesus at the end of at the end of the thing you're thinking there's only one person in this image in this this prophecy in this short story that is telling and of course jesus is the central thing does it predict the future it does in so much to say, listen, you get your act together and we can do some stuff here.
0: There's the a clear reference to different ways to pray, which is 10 years ahead of the start of the 20: service program.
1: Okay, yes, yeah, good, good, yeah. Because some of the stuff comes in straight away and some of it comes in later. So although he gave it in uh, 89, uh, Toronto wasn't until 94. So, of course, sometimes it takes some years to to pick up momentum, uh, the actual word, but that's true. You're true about that. Uh, does it give guidance? It does. It talks about get the people into prayer, proper praying, uh, praying uh, and engaging with the angels in the spiritual warfare. He talks about that. Uh, it, and there was quite a move of spiritual warfare uh, in, the, in the 90s, a uh, whole movement of that. He talks about holiness, he talks about preaching the gospel, getting back to the word of God and studying uh, the word of God. Does it give clear vision? It does, I think. He says, this is, this is what will happen. Uh, we need this, and if you do it, the angelic host will come and, and be with you, and they'll advance. Uh, so you've got this heavenly vision as well. You almost see they're waiting, you know, they're waiting for us to do something and then and then they'll come. But of course, he's waiting for us. Christ is waiting for us as well to, to respond to what he says. Is it up building to the church? Well, I think it is. I was thinking, yes, come on, bring it on. Uh, can it be confirmed in scripture well this sounds like it was lifted straight out of the old testament to me i mean this is so many times repeated by the prophets you know about how we should get back to the real stuff can it be applied to our situation he he talks about england then he turned and looked at the nation of england in particular so he's talking just about this, he's not even saying Britain, he's talking about England as a nation. Uh, he talks about it being in spiritual decline, how it's lost its way. I remember going to Toronto, and uh, the, the, the man who was leading the meeting said, how many people from England here? And there were loads and loads of hands, uh, so 25, 30. And he says, why are you here? He says, I'll tell you why you're here. Because you're exhausted. That's why you're here. That's why you've travelled all the way to Canada. Because you've heard that God is doing something. And when you are, it's, it's terrible. Nothing's happening. Uh, and so you want to be revived. You're exhausted, is basically what he said. So does it make heavenly, fi- heavenly things uh, more real and exciting? Well, I think it does. Uh, talking about the hosts of the armies and so on. Um, is God bringing judgment? He is, isn't he? He's definitely saying there are people here that they're not right, they're not dressed right, they're not right for battle and they need to sort themselves out. He says, if you get yourself right and you repent and get back in line, I'm not against you, it's just like you're not fit for the battle as it were. Is God bringing a warning? Yes, he is. And is God expressing praise? He is. He's, he's praising those who, have, who have, are right ready for it. They are equipped there. Uh, so he's not just condemning. He's, he's got a word of praise for those there as well. That brings us to the end of our lecture time on this. Okay, so uh, we're going to have some prophetic words now from you. Uh, and we're quite used to doing this, isn't it? It's fairly easy, uh, and so we just, just say Lord give me, uh, give me something, and um, it doesn't have to be complicated, it can be really simple, and uh, just be bold and share it and say it. I'm going to ask you if you get something to come here and stand behind, and I'll put this here, because the people who do all the filming and screening, it's important that we do it the way they tell us to do it. Otherwise, we give them too many complications with the sound levels and everything else. So this is where you're going to have to come and do it. So let's just wait on the Lord. And if you get something, just come. If not, I might just call you forward. (laughs) I'm a terrible man. So just, yeah, just pray in tongues quietly, if you like. Or just say, Lord, give me something, anything. And just boldly come forward. Okay, who's the first? Come forward, please. Just share what you feel God has shown you, a picture. You don't even have to explain it particularly, just as you've opened yourself up to the Spirit of God. Thanks, Sarah.
3: Uh, This is possibly influenced by talking to Jilly, I don't know. But a um, uh, traditional English country church and uh, uh, beyond the altar bit is the Ten Commandments. And, the, and that, um, you know, God is just saying, come return to me. Not just saying, by the way. Sorry.
1: No, fun. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and we just uh, that's it yes come yeah so just try and hold those god is saying come come return to the things i've called you to the basic things of the law of the lord
3: i don't understand this at all um, it's a picture of a quite a big ball being pushed up the side of a a, a hill and lots of hands are underneath it many And there's a point at the top that they've got to get it, manoeuvre it over this top bit very carefully. And then I saw it just, once it got over the top, it just, it was sort of free and it just flew down the other end really at speed without anybody needing to do anything with it. It just went. So that was the picture. I can't explain what lovely, it is. Lovely.
1: So it was people pushing this?
3: Pushing a ball, a yeah. okay. big ball.
1: Yeah. And it got to a certain point, then it had a momentum of its own. Yeah. OK, we just... You're getting too good at this.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't understand uh, either, but when Denise said this about pushing the ball, what I got was um, struggling, the word struggling. And um, it was a sense uh, that the church, we the church, are struggling. And um, the ball um, could be symbolic of the spiritual struggle and uh, just to press on and to press on spiritually with God. And I believe that's linked with what Denise has just said given in terms of that picture.
1: Good, good, lovely, lovely.
2: And I just had the words, I think, that follow that. This is just the start.
1: Good, that's it, that's it. That'll do, that'll do.
2: Um, so I got a picture of a diamond and I was thinking well that's quite materialistic I'm not sure and then I felt the Lord saying "Um, in the prophetic step out even when you're starting out God is working on you and will make you into a finely honed beautiful diamond to shine in brilliance and there's more than one person here tonight and it's not Phil who... Could go on to the highest level of prophecy. So be not afraid.
1: Wonderful. Good. They're sort of all linking, aren't they? This is exciting. Yeah.
3: Um, The be not afraid was, I had, it was a picture of an eye of an eagle. And then God just said that, you know, we, not to be afraid because. We um, have. We are under his wing. His, um, he wants to encourage us that we are absolutely covered by his love and his wing, and uh, that nothing is impossible. Basically.
1: Praise God! Thank you, thank you. Yes, Jen. Come on, Jen. Have you written yours, Jen? Yeah. Yeah. So-
3: well, mine is different because I was fascinated with uh, Phil's word, standing orders. So I asked the Lord about that. And the first bit I got was Phil wears the word well. And then I got the next bit was, for his ability to speak is well known. A time is now coming for stronger, clearer words. And then I had a a look at... Uh, at uh, looking it up, what it really meant, what a standing orders meant, because it made me think of my life with my husband, who was an army officer, and there was a lot about standing orders, and uh, it says it's terms and conditions that you have to uh, minimise exploitation of the workers.
1: Okay, thank you, thank you. That's uh... good well done I was um, meditating on that prophecy by Alex Buchanan and there was a specific sentence that struck me when he said return your people to the old ways and something that Uh, I've heard spoken of is a quotation from Isaiah 43 where it says, behold I'm doing a new thing forget the former things behold I'm doing a new thing but I thought we need to get back to the old ways because Alex was exhorting us to get deep into the word and into prayer the basics, get the basics right and then from the old I can build new. Good, 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 good. I I've
3: got a picture of them. Um,
2: picture earlier of just the birds coming to steal the seeds so I wrote this down but don't forget what you have heard ponder it in your heart don't let the birds steal it away but as the weeks go on let it bear fruit
1: okay thank you
0: I had a a vision of a Saxon cross, and it's in an old Saxon church that has been long dead. I don't know whether that means closed or just not very alive, Um, and it's going to come to life somewhere, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I get the sense that it's somewhere in this area, Mm -hmm. so... That's the sense I got. That's it, sir.
1: That's it. Okay. So that could be, that could be specific, couldn't it? Or it could be generally about life coming where, where things were dead. Yes, everybody, yeah. Actually, I, 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 um, I got a picture of Loganbury's. And I Cousin. thought this is a lot of nonsense. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then I heard Daphne talking about fruit, okay. and I got the picture of the of the loganberries and just ripe for the picking. I mean, they were, they right. were ripe for the picking. Fantastic! Thanks, Edward. Right, <laughs> great, 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 great. Good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, I did get something, so i better share that. Um, I saw a a stairway and I saw someone standing on the stairs and he didn't know whether to go up or go down. He didn't know. And so he he was at a point of just, he didn't know. And that's how it finished. Well, I think that's a bit frustrating, but you see, People talk about we're at the start of something, press on, go on. So with the other words that came, I thought, well, there's only one direction. We have to go up. If we're confused, we just go down again. And it's just, we'll be disappointed and all that God has said to you and ministered to you, not only over these weeks but over the months and years probably, you have to make the decision, you see. God always leaves it to us. He can only bring the word, He can only inspire us, but He is waiting on us. He always is. And so we have to take whatever teaching we receive. You are now responsible for what you have heard. To do nothing, it doesn't mean the responsibility goes away for every time you sit and listen to the ministry of God's word you put yourself in a tighter bind don't you because you're more responsible for what God has spoken to you about and we have to we have to act on it and we can't say at the end oh we didn't know he said you want me to tell you the day and the date that I spoke into your heart and you knew, you knew, so no pressure, okay, but let's move on from here. Whatever that means, be open. Yes, yes. <coughs>
3: before we started this evening, I asked the Lord for a word, and he said, if you decide to be available, I will use all your
1: life. Okay, if you decide to be available, I will use all of your life. We'll finish on that note then. So God bless you. Thank you for your attendance. Next week we start a new module and we're going to be looking at the covenants. We are covenant people. That is the the best relationship we can have with anyone and God has chosen to enter into a covenant relationship with us. We need to know the terms of the covenant uh, to be able to live in this relationship. So we start that
0: next week. Okay. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can sign up for our next module, Covenants Part 1. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can also do that on our website by making a secure online donation. And to follow us on social media, visit Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.